On this short episode of PNR Churchman podcast, I have news out of the PCA. Real news, national news to the United States government and to all state governments. And so addressed to President Joe Biden and members of Congress specifically. This is governing gender reassignment procedures. And so what I'm going to do on this episode is is read the statement that was crafted and has gone out. But before I'll give us some background. And so the gist of it is this statement says, It's a humble petition for you to protect the lives and welfare of minor children from the physical, mental, and emotional harm associated with medical and surgical interventions for the purpose of gender reassignment. Furthermore, we call upon you to use your positions to promote the health, bodily integrity, and well-being of minors who are suffering from gender dysphoria and related conditions. That's from the first paragraph of this three-page letter that I will read uh, in the second half of this episode. But basically, you hear there a call to two things, a call to stop doing something and to start doing something, to stop this harmful and sinful practice on the one hand and to start promoting healthy behaviors and practices on the other. And so what's the history of this? Well, this has taken about a year, which in Presbyterian terms is pretty quick. Sometime this time last year, Overture 12 was submitted to the General Assembly. And the title of that was Petition the Government to End Sex Change Procedure for Minors. Now, as this wasn't a BCO change or or anything like that, it was a statement that was going to be made to the U.S. government. This was effective as soon as it could be done. So the Overtures Committee in June took this up, and it was meant with mixed feelings. There were different reasons for people to oppose this. And so this is this is what happened. Uh, first of all, it was to send this this overture, this already crafted statement, to all federal, local, and state governments and elected officials. And one of the the issues with this is that even possible. I guess the administrative committee communicated that they ran into trouble the previous year in commuting communicating this statement to the government regarding ending abortion. That it's not exactly easy to send letter to actually send mail to state governments that somehow they're only able to receive those from within the state. I don't know the legalities of that or the logistics of that. That is just what it was communicated. And then when you think of local governments, I mean, that is a huge task for uh, for the denomination to do centrally. So there was an administrative holdup with that. Uh, there was also, so so that's an administrative holdup. There were questions about our uh, constitution and people brought into this the discussion around the Westminster Confession of Faith and what it says that church synods can do. And so from chapter 31, paragraph four, it says this, synods and councils are to handle or conclude nothing but that which is ecclesiastical and are not to intermeddle with civil affairs which concern the commonwealth unless by way of humble petition in cases extraordinary or by way of advice for satisfaction of conscience, if they be thereunto required by the civil magistrate. So the civil magistrate can ask for our opinion. Otherwise, it says, unless by way of humble petition in cases extraordinary. And so there were questions, is this need case extraordinary? Is is, is the need in the country an extraordinary case. And many of us said, yes, it is. Children mutilating their bodies is an extraordinary case. 
the fact that this is becoming an, an ex expectation for doctors to do this thing is affecting our members in the healthcare industry. It's affecting the families who have minors that are requesting these things. We've all heard of the nightmare stories, or maybe you, hopefully you've heard of them out of Canada, where parents don't have the right to stand in the way of their children from doing this to themselves. And if they do, they're thrown in jail. There's, a, there's one father in particular that had gone to, to prison for this. And so many of us said, this is an extraordinary case. We have the right, or we actually have the duty as, as the Church of Jesus Christ to speak prophetically to the government in this case. Some people objected to it because they weren't sure if the wording was right. And this isn't a, a bad reason, you know, like, if, are we making sure we're saying the right things? Are we being technically accurate? And so there were, there were those concerns. And then there were, of course, concerns about how will this be perceived? Somebody did speak up on the floor of GA talking about how will, how will the transgender community perceive us? That argument wasn't, at least in my estimation, wasn't given much, much credence. Uh, but the ones around, is this the right statement, were, was, uh, did seem to hold some water. And what the Overtures Committee found was it was difficult with 120 or, or more delegates to it to try to craft or edit a statement that was there. And so originally this overture was uh, recommending, or the Overtures Committee had voted to refer it back to the Presbytery where it came. But somebody actually made a motion to reconsider that action. And so somebody who votes in the affirm in in the winning side of a of a decision can actually make a motion to reconsider it. And an overtures committee did reconsider it. And the motion became from the overtures committee to allow the moderator, which would be Fred Greco of the General Assembly, to form a commission to actually write this statement and to send it to the federal government officials and then to disseminate it to clerks of presbyteries to send it to their state governments and to ask them to do that. Because that, that was another question that had arose in this. Does the, can the General Assembly mandate a clerk of a presbytery to send this uh, on behalf of the denomination? And so, um, but this passed the General Assembly passed General Assembly by a, a vote of 1,089 to 793. So it passed by a majority, but there were still almost 800 people that opposed this. This was the language that was passed at General Assembly uh, of, of, what, uh, of what that committee was going to be empowered to do or commission. Uh, excuse me. So that Overture 12 from Evangel Presbytery to petition the government to end sex change procedures for minors be answered by empowering the moderator to appoint a commission to draft a humble petition in line with Westminster Confession 31-4, which the PCA stated clerk shall send to the President of the United States, the, the majority and minority party leaders in the U.S. Senate and House of Representatives, and the Chief Justice of the United States, and recommend the Presbytery clerks to send the petition to the governors the majority and minority party leaders in the state legislatures and the chief justice of the state Supreme Courts in their regions, condemning the practice of surgical and medical gender reassignment, especially of minors. And so that statement passed. And 
moderator Fred Greco then appointed a uh, commission made up of three teaching elders and three ruling elders to draft the statement that I will read in a couple minutes. Uh, th those names have been, we, we haven't known who those names were until now. And I'm going to uh, to pull, see if I can pull that up on the screen and you could see their their bios. Okay, so if you're watching on YouTube, you should be able to see some of these bios. I'm gonna, I'll just briefly go through them. Dr. Bruce Bogus, I'm sorry if I've mispronounced your name. He's professor of systematic theology and apologetics at Puritan Reformed Theological Seminary. He is a teaching elder in the Great Lakes Presbyterian author, editor, and frequent international speaker. Dr. James Lopez, MD, PhD, is a professor of pediatrics at the University of Michigan. He's a medical director of the Pediatric Liver Transplant Program and director of the Division of Pediatric Gastroenterology. He serves as a ruling elder at Christ Church Ann Arbor and actively participates in the Great Lakes Presbytery and the General Assembly. So that is uh, Dr. Lopez is a ruling elder and he's a medical doctor, a pediatric doctor. Dr. Hans Madume. I'm sorry again if I've mispronounced your name. He's an MD, PhD, is Associate Professor of Theological Studies at Covenant College on top of Lookout Mountain in Georgia. He is Nigerian, a Nigerian immigrant. Uh, he's completed an MDiv and an MA in bioethics and a PhD in systematic theology from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. He is a ruling elder at St. Elmo Presbyterian Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Very cool. Dr. Nathan Newman lives on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., where he serves as minister to members of Congress in MNA's Ministry to State. He's working with politicians. Dr. Blair Smith is Associate Professor of Systematic Theology at Reformed Theological Seminary in Charlotte and the Academic Dean, dean of RTS Dallas in Houston. He is a teaching elder in the PCA. Dr. Bill Whitaker, MD, is a member of Third Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. He has served as a deacon and elder in the PCA with nearly 40 years experience in pediatrics. He's board certified in pediatrics and adolescent medicine. He is one of the original drafters of Overture 12 to the 50th General Assembly of Evangel Presbytery. Well, that, that is an awesome list. I hadn't read that until just there. Sorry, I stumbled over some names and I am also sorry if I, if I mispronounced names, but what a great list. Uh, Fred Greco, moderator Greco, good choices, teaching elders, ruling elders, doctors, a teaching elder who works as minister of state and people with experience in, in pediatrics. So wonderful, wonderful list. Okay. I'm going to read and I'll, I'm going to pull that up also. I'm going to read the actual three-page statement. By the way, a comment before I read it. Some people think this is just virtue signaling or again, what will the, the watching world think or whatever. And, and I think we have to regain our understanding of a theology of almost of the church's prophetic voice to speak as the church into society. And yes, the watching world, this may harden some hearts, but that is, we, we, we want soft hearts and we would love to see change, but the Lord uses these things also uh, in judgment. And so while I'm not praying that people's hearts are obstinate, it is important for the church to speak in these ways. And so here it is, January 21st, 2024, to the Honorable Joseph R. Biden, President of the United States, to the Honorable John G. Roberts, Jr., Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, uh, the Honorable Mike Johnson, Speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives, the Honorable Hakeem Jeffries, Democratic Leader 
the U.S. House of Representatives, the Honorable Chuck Schumer, uh, Majority Leader of the U.S. Senate, the Honorable Mitch McConnell, Republican Leader of the U.S. Senate. Dear leaders of the United States government, we, the Presbyterian Church in America, the largest body of confessional Presbyterian and Reformed churches in North America, consisting of more than 1,500 congregations and 374,000 members across the United States and Canada, humbly petition you to protect the lives and welfare of minor children from the physical, mental, and emotional harms associated with medical and surgical interventions for the purpose of gender reassignment. Furthermore, we call upon you to use your positions to promote the health, bodily integrity, and well-being of minors who are suffering from gender dysphoria and related conditions. So again, that, that stop doing this and start doing that. We recognize the growing nationwide distress and concern over interventionist practices targeting children. While we acknowledge complexities around these issues, we share those concerns and urgently appeal to you to protect the nation's children. The basis for our appeal is that all people, young and old, male and female, are created in the image of God. Genesis 1, 26 and 27, James 3, 9. This unique status accords all human beings with an inherent dignity, a dignity that extends to both soul and body. For over 2,000 years, the Christian church in all her branches has stood on the teaching that the value of the human body arises from its source, which is from God, and its purpose, which is to bear God's image. We believe current gender reassignment interventions for children are not in keeping with the high value of human bodies a value determined not by circumstance, ability, or human judgment, but by the determination of our wise creator who constituted each person a body-soul unity. Genesis 2-7, Psalm 139-13-16. We also ground our humble petition in God's love for children. He expressed his love when the Son of God said, Let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belong the kingdom of God. Mark 10-14 ESV. Indeed, his deep love for children is revealing and comparing them to those who are greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Because of this love, it is a grave sin to harm children. Matthew 18, 1-6. In his kindness, God has provided parents and the civil magistrate for the protection of children. Ephesians 6, 1-4, Romans 13, 1-4. Until recently, an obligation to protect children has been widely acknowledged in Western society. The duty to protect children from harm is to be met by authorities in familial and civil contexts who recognize the vulnerabilities unique to childhood. While these vulnerabilities can be preyed upon by powerful external forces, they are also susceptible to the internal confusions and instabilities often accompanying childhood. As Christians, we recognize that we live in a fallen world in which some children and adults experience a perceived incongruence between their biological sex and their internal sense of gender. Their feelings of gender incongruence cause severe psychological distress, often associated with debilitating anxiety and depression. We genuinely sympathize with the parents and loved ones of those who experience this kind of suffering, many of them in our churches. However, experts disagree on the nature and cause of gender dysphoria. Persons who try to change their biological sex through the process of transitioning, including psychotherapy, lifelong hormonal treatments, and extensive non-genital and genital surgeries, are attempting the impossible. 
This reality merely reflects the divine design as God created human beings distinctly, male and female. Genesis 1.27, Matthew 19.4, Mark 10.6. Since the sexual binary is rooted in creation and determined by God, it cannot be changed. Therefore, it is not surprising that transition attempts carry many long-term risks. Among these risks, which are often irreversible, include conditions such as sterility, infertility, cancer, cardiovascular disease, strokes, blood clots, pituitary apoplexy, pseudotumor cerebri, and diminished bone density. For children, the stakes are even higher. Since the brain has not yet been fully developed during puberty and adolescence, minor children are not mentally and emotionally ready to give informed consent to life-altering and non-reversible medical procedures. And with the increase in depression, anxiety, isolation, and alienation of children and adolescents in the United States and Canada, exacerbated by the use of social media and more recently COVID-19 policies, Young people often experience fluctuating emotions and internal confusion. Teenage girls especially have been susceptible to rapid-onset gender dysphoria, a recent phenomenon involving large numbers of teen girls claiming to have gender dysphoria. The increased diagnosis of gender dysphoria in girls has been driven by social contagion from current social, educational, and cultural influences. Children whose minds and personalities are still developing do not yet possess the perspective or maturity to make these irreversible decisions. They should be given time to accept their biological sex, which occurs in the majority of teens allowed to progress through natural puberty. Although we respect the expertise of medical professionals, it is striking that traditionally medical students had to affirm the Hippocratic Oath, which includes the commitment. Quote, I will abstain from all intentional wrongdoing and harm, especially from abusing the bodies of man or woman. This priority of not harming others is ultimately grounded in the triune God, who is love, 1 John 4, 8, from whence he calls us to love each other. Reflecting this nature of God, one of the greatest commandments is that we love our neighbors as ourselves, Matthew twenty two thirty nine, As scripture states, Love does no harm to a neighbor. Romans 13.10 from the NIV and also Exodus 20.13. Providing medical intervention for the purposes of transitioning does irreversible harm and injustice to all people, but especially minor children. For these reasons, we condemn the practice of surgical and medical gender reassignment, especially of minors, and we humbly petition you to protect the lives and welfare of minor children. Sincerely, members of the commission appointed by the moderator, the 50th General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church in America. And so that's the letter, respectful, humble, honest, straightforward, biblical. I guess what I would ask any listeners here and, and, and the PCA at large is that we pray. Pray for the Spirit to use the words on this letter as people read them to feel convicted. Pray that our leaders making these decisions would do what's right under God on behalf of the people. Pray that kids are protected. And pray for the members of our churches who have family members who are going through this, who maybe even there are kids. There are definitely kids in our churches. 
who may be experiencing gender dysphoria, who are have influences in their lives that are not telling them the right things. We pray that the Spirit would work in all these situations. We pray that God would be glorified. We do pray for our witness in the world around this, but we pray and we are faithful to tell them. I love the section of this that highlighted the importance that God places on, on children and our duty and our need to protect them. And I guess I would end with, with a pastoral appeal. There, there is wickedness in the world around this, and, and we know this, and, and there are demonic influences. There, there's no question in my mind. But the deep dissatisfaction that a person feels with who they are is real. It's a result of the fall. It's what Christ came back to put an end to among all the things. And so my heart does go out for people in these situations, and I pray that the Lord would be gracious to them. I pray that they would, uh, through the light of nature and through statements like this, recognize and not pursue sinful solutions that will not solve the problem, but that looking to Christ, that we would hold out a Christ that is big enough to be enough for people, and that Christ would heal hearts in this. Thank you to Fred Greco for choosing this commission. Thank you for the commission who served on this. May uh, we, we appreciate this statement. I think it is well-crafted. We, we pray that there's no backlash from this, but we pray the Lord's will be done. And so I'm proud to be in the PCA. This is George Sayer, Pastor George, signing off for PNR Churchman. And now we will have a word from BTS, Birmingham Theological Seminary, a sponsor of this podcast and a great institution. Uh, if you're looking to further your studies either through certificate programs, an MDiv or an MA, uh, a counseling degree, or a doctor of ministry program, of which I am currently in. But there's two programs in my last minute here that I want to draw your attention to. For those that are pastors, I want you to be aware of our doctor of ministry program. We do have a wonderful program. It is entirely available online, but we work in cohorts. So students meet weekly with one another digging into each other's lives with their time with one another and really truly build relationships with one another. We have several men here who are in those cohorts who would be happy to talk to you about it if you wanted to ask them. We have four tracks in that program, pastoral leadership, biblical counseling, uh, apologetics, as well as um, uh, our new program in church multiplication and vitality that is built around the Lampstand Conference as many of you are aware, which is the new iteration of Embers to a Flame that works around church vitality. That's a wonderful program. The whole thing comes in at less than $8,000 for students. So if you're interested in that, stop by our booth and talk to us. But the second one uh, that we're very excited about is a program that we're launching uh, this fall. It can be started this summer, but this fall particularly, which is a learning certificate geared towards leadership in the PCA a PCA leadership certificate. It has four classes, has a class on the Westminster Standards, uh, Confession and the Catechisms that serves as a survey of systematic theology, a class on Presbyterian polity, a class on Introduction to Covenant Theology, and the fourth class is Conflict Resolution in the Local Church. We believe that these four classes will be an unbelievable resource for elder deacon training and for just lay people in the church who want to understand better what it means to be a reformed Presbyterian individual. Every class at BTS that is at the graduate level is $100 per credit hour. 
So this whole certificate is $800 for four classes. Churches can sponsor students or students can pay for themselves. We can host local micro learning centers where professors can come teach these classes locally in churches if we have five or more students. Or students can be online with other elders and leaders in the PCA across the country, actually learning and growing together. So when they end up in Presbytery together, guess what? They've been learning together. When they end up at the General Assembly together, they've been in class together. These are ruling elders that have this opportunity. So we're incredibly excited about our new PCA leadership certificate. If you're interested in hearing more, we can't wait to tell you. Thanks for your time. And what a wonderful assembly we have here. I, you know, to hear about the seminary coming out of Birmingham, do you understand what's behind that? Do you understand? You have to go back, you know, if you, if you hang around long enough, you can become an eyewitness to history. And I'm an eyewitness to the fact that one of the things that led the old PCUS down the tubes was the seminaries. And the seminaries were all denominational seminaries. And it wasn't accidental that when the PCA started, we said, we're going to acknowledge all the different courts of the church. And so a court of the church can be a session. And a session is a proper court of the church to establish a seminary for the training of men for the gospel ministry. And so we have this seminary in Birmingham, and what a wonderful ministry it has had. I'm so excited. I think I'm going to sign up on this new program that you've got, this PCA Leadership Certificate. That just sounds absolutely wonderful. Now, let's pass the word around to that.